and welcome back to the Tap Talks HR podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to have with me Siobhan Sheridan, Chief People Officer at the Financial Conduct Authority. Hi, Siobhan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anthony. Lovely to see you. Great to see you too. So, Siobhan, today we're talking about something right at the heart of HR professionals. Um, the strategic importance of HR's own well-being, which is a fantastic title for the podcast. So, first question has to be, why do you think HR's own well-being is of strategic importance? Yeah, well, look, this is it's a subject area very, very close to my heart. And it's one that I hear HR professionals talking about all of the time, actually. And why do I think it's a topic of strategic importance? Um, Because I think it is fundamental to our ability to bring the capability that we have as HR professionals into our work. I also think it's fundamental to HR professionals being able to sustain um, long and um, valuable careers in the HR profession. So I think if we were to think about this as a almost like a strategic workforce planning question for HR professions and functions, and it, it's really about saying, look, if we if we fail to pay attention to this, we adversely impact the capability of the people in the profession. We adversely impact the longevity uh, of people in the profession, and we adversely impact people's willingness to come into and stay in the profession. So, for those reasons, it's both a personal and a genuine strategic challenge. I think. Yeah, because. Um... I suppose if, if, if well-being is maintained in people, then we, we're going to eventually lose um, all the wealth and knowledge and tacit knowledge that, that, that goes with anyone who happens to uh, spend a long time in a certain particular profession. Yeah, yeah, so, I, um, think, I think yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, sorry, we talked over as we're working from home. It's a Friday, so it's it's hybrid working mm. day. So. So, which makes me think, um, thinking about HR as a profession, why do you think it's HR that's important around this uh, this well-being issue of strategic importance? Yeah, so, I mean, look, HR is fundamentally, we always say it, don't we, it's fundamentally a people profession. Um, and if we look at most other professions that are fundamentally people professions, you know, these would be areas like doctors, dentists, social workers, um, psychologists, um, you know, all all types of people who are working with people all of the time. Um, now, what that means is that we are constantly interacting with other human beings. Um, we're constantly dealing with people who are in and both both, you know, dealing with people in really positive ways in terms of their career development, their future, their potential, but also dealing with people in very difficult situations and circumstances. And um, what most other people professions have realized over time is that that takes its toll on you as an individual working in that environment um, with other human beings. So I think there's something very specific about the fact that HR is a people profession. One of the other things that I realized when I was doing my own research was that, um, you know, I, I kind of got curious about the fact that when you see people running a commentary on HR, quite often you'll find a a, a kind of a seam of that that's quite a negative commentary about the the kinds of nasty, horrid, difficult things that people feel as though HR has done to them in some way. 
Um, and so we carry a very kind of particular burden, I think, in the HR profession of sometimes we do get to do wonderful, engaging, supportive things for people. And that's what brings a lot of us into the profession is being able to, to help people to develop their potential, to, um, uh, you know, to develop themselves and their organizations, their teams, their careers. But we also have to do some very difficult things. Um, and what I noticed in some of the research that I was doing was that, again, in some of these other professions, um, what they have realized is that over time, when you're constantly dealing with difficult things that affect other people, understandably, you start to build defenses around yourself because having those difficult conversations with people is hard. So you start to build these things that some of the researchers call psychological defenses. Um, and what that can that, that's very, very important because it protects us to a certain extent from some of those difficult things that we're dealing with. But it can also over time uh, mean that we perhaps kind of fail to connect with people in the really human ways that we might have come into the profession to do so. So it can have an inadvertent um, effect on us and on our practice as practitioners, I think. So, so it's almost like it, there's, there's a, a kind of a head of steam uh, that builds over a period of time because we don't have, we take things on in the HR profession, but we don't have a way of then releasing ourselves from that. Is that, is that why you think that, that this is of importance in the world of HR compared to others? Exactly that, exactly that, Anthony. So I think, you know, um, it's really important for us to be able to find ways to, I tend to call it kind of cleaning myself up. How, you know, how can I, how can I sort of um, shake myself down from, uh, from some of those things to make sure that I'm not being left uh, with that, you know, psychologists and psychotherapists would call it transference potentially from, from people that I am dealing with. Um, but also I have to look for it as an HR director in my own people. Um, you know, sometimes you can see it. Um, it. You almost kind of look at someone and you can see their, I call it looking at someone and seeing their full up, right? It's like you can see their full up somehow when you look in their eyes um, because they're just carrying so much um, of the challenges, the difficulties, the um, the seriousness with which I think a lot of HR professionals kind of carry their work. We're quite often dealing with some really difficult stuff, things that are very personal for people, very confidential for people, potentially very ethically challenging. Um, and so we have to we have to have ways and places to to deal with that, to support ourselves, to discharge some of that. I love that the use of the word discharge right at the end there. I think that's uh, that's really interesting. And in in my experience, in in the last, oh my word, it's eight years now since I stopped being a HR director and came to the dark side of consultancy. And I, I think um, I've met so many chief people officers and HR directors, heads of talent, heads of recruitment, and it's almost like when I first meet them, grab a coffee, and we just start talking about the profession. Very quickly, it's almost like. I have this kind of unburdening of, of people and uh, they talk so much to mm -hmm. me. I almost feel like I'm coaching, bordering on counselling and therapy sometimes yeah. because sometimes I think that the HR profession, you're so singular in an organisation. There's one HR director, whereas there might be 
three different sub-departments of operations, marketing, sales, and everything. So it's almost like there's a mini group that can talk to each other. But in an organization, you're quite isolated, like a little island. So I think it's hard internally to find someone to share with, to vent with. Do you, do you think that's something yeah. you see? I, I think that's so right, Anthony. The, um, I think, especially if you're a chief people officer or an HR director, but also if you're a kind of a, um, a, a business partner or a, or a lone HR practitioner, maybe in a, in a smaller business. And it's a very, very, it can be a very, very lonely role. Um, and because we treat the confidentiality with which we deal with things very seriously, um, it can be quite challenging to develop the right kinds of support networks, the right kinds of places for you to go as an HR practitioner to be able to, to do exactly what you described, to kind of to get things off your chest. Um, and so I think it's really fundamental as people develop their careers in HR to actually think about what those support networks are um, and how they use them, you know, whether it's um, whether it's coaches and mentors, whether it's a you know, um, colleague action learning set of HR directors, whether it's other people in the professional body in the Chartered Institute of Personal Development or, um, uh, you know, but finding those kind of mechanisms, those places to go uh, for it not to be quite so lonely. Um, because my worry is I think without that, quite often I come across people who are in danger of burning themselves out. Um, and that's a real kind of sad and severe loss both for the individuals but also for the profession um uh, when when you know when i come across people who've been in that position and i think probably all of us um anyone who's been in a senior role in hr has probably got a story of taking themselves a little bit too close to that but now uh, stage as well it's interesting uh, with, with burnout isn't it because one of the, the three ways you can look at the concept of engagement is it's anti-burnout uh, so one end of the scale is burnout, the other end is, is in employee engagement. And so if we've got the custodian of employee engagement in an organisation, uh, the one who's supposed to push in a proactive, positive way towards engaging others, if they're feeling that burnout from a, a burden of way too much interaction with other people without a way to vent it, I mean, that's pretty serious from a strategic point of view for organisations, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. And, um, uh, and, and I think, you know, almost one of the kind of the dichotomies, the challenges in, in the HR profession, so many of us come into the HR profession because we genuinely care about other people. Um, and I think, you know, most of the HR professionals that I come across are, you know, are really, really kind of unselfish, generous, genuinely kind of caring individuals. And, and as a result of that, I think sometimes we see taking care of ourselves as being almost a selfish act, um, when in actual fact, it's quite the reverse. If we don't take care of ourselves, we simply cannot kind of deliver on that purpose that brought us into the HR profession in the first place. And that's quite interesting, actually, because I was going to get onto that bit about the actual personality of the HR professional and, and I think we're we're guilty as you say of never spending any of the development budget on the HR function uh, we always spend it on other people and when I go in and I'm proposing leadership programs and interventions etc it's it's quite often I say well why don't you send the business partners onto the program 
oh, that's a good idea. I didn't think of that. Well, actually, business partners are leaders as well. They, they have to craft an agenda. They, and they, they, it's great to have them seen next to others, but quite often it's an afterthought all, yeah. all the time. So, but as you, as you were saying, um, if I think of my Myers-Briggs, to use a terminology to come in here, you have that bulk decision-making, thinking and feeling. And so the thinking is very logical. The feeling is very empathetic. I do see a shift in when people enter the profession towards that empathetic, as you say, I uh, being quite humble, but pushing forward others to greatness. So therefore, yeah, you don't think about your own, your the, the idea of self. You're always thinking about others first. And of course, in a, in a great corporate organization, you need to almost shout from the rooftop to get anything. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so how do we deal with this then? Thinking about uh, us as HR professionals, as an individual, but also as as a professional um, ourselves, how do you think we can start working on this better? Yeah, yeah. Look, that I mean, that's something I'm really actively thinking about for my, you know, for myself and my own teams, and um, and for the profession more broadly at the moment. Um, uh, there's there's lots of ways in which I've definitely got this wrong in the past, but I do think there is an opening into this in us genuinely thinking about this as a strategic workforce planning question for the profession. And um, I, I almost think as they, I almost kind of feel as they're using our own, eating our own dog food, so to speak, in terms of, uh, you know, strategic workforce planning, applying it to ourselves as a profession. I think maybe that might give us permission and legitimize the conversation in a way that means that we don't feel as though we're being, um, you know, we're sort of pressing a personal point or a personal issue. So I think there's something about looking at it from that very strategic standpoint um, and saying, look, how do we recognise that this is a feature of the profession that we're in? And how do we challenge ourselves um, about the fact that many other professions have, have kind of developed different ways of dealing with this? Probably none of them perfect, um, but certainly... Um, ideas like for example the ideas of reflective supervision that exists in um, areas like social work um you know just recognizing that there are other professions who, who wrestle with this and that have developed approaches uh, to doing so um so i think i think that's one route in um i think for all of us as chief people officers um uh, hr directors people running hr teams in organizations there is something about us saying to your very good point, we're not going to allow our teams to be last in terms of development. We are going to put the infrastructures um, and the processes in place around those teams to ensure that um, they have the support and the enabling environment that they need to do their work in a healthy way. Um, and look, I think so much of this sometimes as well does start with the personal and the individual. Um, and I think we do have to kind of look to ourselves as individuals and say, look, how am I um, taking care of myself? What am I learning? What am I role modeling to others? It took me quite a long time to realize that, you know, my own personal well-being was supported by some pretty basic things that I ignored quite frequently. Sleep, diet, uh, um, exercise, you know, these are all kind of critical things. And if I if I live through my day on caffeine and sugar, I get to the end of the day tired but wired. I then don't sleep. 
Um, you know, and so understanding and, and taking the time to really understand how we create an environment for our personal well-being, I think then that um, relates into others. So I think it's kind of, you know, me, the team, and then all of us as a profession. Um, I think we have to work on all of those three levels. Looking at that, it's from three levels, from like different helicopter kind of views kind of thing. The, the bit about profession is quite interesting because uh, I've recently been doing some education at Henley Business School and we're doing a lot of work around, it's on coaching, a lot of work around reflection and everything. But the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, won't let you be a member unless you have some form of supervision. Uh, and you can demonstrate that. And it's almost like the professional body recognises that as a coach, you deal with people's issues and therefore, you need a way of actually processing that from your own point of view. But we don't kind of have that from the CIPD. And that's not CIPD bashing uh, at all. Mm-hmm. It, what, but it's interesting. It's, it might be the next evolution if we yeah. do recognise that well-being in the professional. Yeah. Look, I think there are a lot of varying different ways of actually working out how we can create that right environment to do that unloading, to to do the processing, to make sure that people are understanding the impact of our work on us and the impact of our own kind of effective state on our work. And um, I, I think in doing that, we have to make sure as well that we don't kind of create barriers to entry to the HR profession. Um, and I suppose one of the questions about reflective supervision in some of these professional environments is that you know they are things that people have to pay for and they add a you know they add a kind of a barrier to entry to the profession and I do think though there are ways through this um, that mean that we can draw on and being really thoughtful as a for example about how you know what is what does a one-to-one look like when you are an HR manager with someone working in the HR team how can we draw on some of those principles of reflective supervision that exist in other places um, that are important not necessarily that complex to apply in some simple ways and um, so I think there may be levels of this that we can um, be thoughtful about um, I do think that things like um, branch networks, as a for example, or um, conferences that people can attend, development programs that people can attend, um, action learning sets, some of the helpline type, um, uh, you know, um, areas that, that the CIPD has. And these can all be very helpful wraparounds to an organization or a team that's looking at doing this. Because again, I think we have to think about, I'm always really conscious when I'm mentoring as a for example I do quite a bit of mentoring with people who are individual HR practitioners in maybe small firms you know they don't have access to those kinds of decisions but they do have access to some of these other things and so I think how we can kind of create a variety of supportive tools that help different types of practitioners is really important. Yeah, I think you bring, uh, you bring up an interesting point there because that's it's the one thing about the profession, isn't it? It's um, it has different forms. If you uh, work for a FTSE 100, then then you are HR director and you have a team of people. You can approach this in one way, but most organisations up to about 500 people have a standalone person that has to do everything in the world of HR. Might be lucky enough to have a recruiting person, but then what do they do? Um, so it's almost like um, there's 
it's, it might be the same behavior, but it's done in a different way, uh, yeah. depending on who you are. So, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking of a, 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 a Dr. HR person. It was just something that popped into my head, not obviously members of the public adopting it, but, but actually thinking about it, if you are someone who are by yourself in a standalone position, think about other people that you might know in your network and why don't you get together? That idea of action learning sets coming together, it's because uh, it, it's time well spent because you'll be sharper when you're working in your organisation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it's why it's so important that um, as people kind of progress in their HR careers, um, that they remember that, you know, sometimes their attendance at things like branch events or conferences, you know, somebody only needs to have a kind of a drive-by conversation with you for 20 minutes and you can make a massive difference to them, I think, through the benefit of, you know, experiences that you've had or expertise that you've had. Um, and I think it is really, really important that, you know, we all we all remember to, to kind of give back into the profession. Um, uh, and that's not to say that, you know, being able to do that is a feature of seniority, but I just think sometimes when you've been in the profession for a bit longer, but a few more experiences, you might have developed some strategies that are helpful to somebody who's going through it for the first time. Yeah, so I mean, you talked about yourself. I loved uh, your idea of cleaning yourself up. Was your uh, cleaning myself up? You said earlier on. It's um. So so, what do you do? And, and uh, you didn't know this question was coming, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit to give you a, a, a chance to think. But what do you do to approach this yourself? Because obviously, you have quite a senior. HR position in a well-known organization and I'm sure you have lots to deal with there on a daily basis so what do you do to clean yourself up? Yeah it's a yeah, brilliant question so um, n- number one tool for me is always journaling so um, and I know people you know sometimes people say oh I can't you know I don't seem to have to find the time to journal but I I you know, I think as you as you kind of go through life, you become really clear about when something's triggering for you, when you're noticing that maybe you're not operating in a way that where you feel like you're operating at your best. Um, so I journal regularly. I tend to find that through my journaling, I spot um, things that might be happening that you know um, that I might need to talk about. I have a, I have a couple of mentors, um, who've uh, been you know, mentors for me for a very long time. Um, and, uh, and one of those actually is a particularly, he's a particularly important mentor for me actually, because he is the person that knows when I'm not helping myself. So if he sends me three text messages in a row that I don't respond to, he will then send me a text message that says, I am now coming to find you. Um, because he knows that my introversion will mean that if I'm under periods of stress, I will stop responding to things and I'll cut myself off from the support that I need at the moment that I most need it. So so mentors that really know you, I think, are incredibly powerful. I have a great action learning set who I've worked with for a number of years coming out of an academic program that I went through. Um, and I use that. I also find the community on Twitter. Um, the, the HR community on Twitter, or X, I think we're supposed to call it now. Um, uh, I mean, look, it's increasingly hard, I think, sometimes on social media to kind of find your tribe without finding all of the kind of the tribe that goes along with it. But um, it, it is still possible. And I think when you find those networks of people, um, they can be, you know, they can be supremely helpful. So those are some of the ways that I do it. 
um, alongside kind of more formal coaching. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. And thanks for answering, answering that so openly, because I know that, that some of the listeners love hearing the real stuff about when people come on. About, what do you do? You, you know the subject quite well. You've done some work in, on the subject. So how, what can you do that others can kind of emulate a little bit? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Whenever I run a leadership program, I'm always talking to the leaders about self-reflection. Because they never do it enough. And, and if it's multi-module, I always say in between each module, I want you to have like pair up and everything. But I say to them, you should be scheduling 30 minutes a week minimum into your schedule for a meeting with yourself. Yeah. So to think about what what's going on currently with yourself, what's holding you back doing something better, what could you do differently? What reflections do you have? And I think as a HR community, going back to your point that we're, we're always so uh, behind others we service other people and that's the kind of personality we are it's almost like we'd be the first person to pencil that reflection time if someone else needed something and it's almost like holding your own and saying actually I need to look after myself if I'm going to look after others absolutely absolutely so we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, so what I usually ask my guests is uh, one thing that you'd like the listeners, or one or two things, you write the listeners to maybe act on, reflect on, think about after listening to this podcast, if they're interested in well-being and, and improving their own well-being as a HR professional. So would you, what's your hint or tip? Yeah. So I think... Number one, it's strategic, it's not selfish. Um, so I think you have to give yourself permission to realise that this is, you know, we have to give ourselves permission to realise this is key to us being at our very best as HR professionals. Um, uh, and I think, you know, your very good point there uh, in closing um, as well, which is, you know, you you simply cannot continue to help other people if you are not taking good care of yourself. Um, uh, and then I think finally, I'd say, you know, think about this as fitness. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I learned from working with the military, really. You know, they don't talk about um, mental health so much as, for example, they talk about mental fitness. And I think, you know, none of us would question giving ourselves, well, I might actually, I don't get to the gym so as I should, but giving ourselves time to get to the gym to work on our physical fitness. And um, this is about our kind of mental um, and our emotional fitness in the round. And I think really thinking about it in that context, really thinking about all of the things that nourish you um, uh, and working out what that right balance is for you um, it's worth giving it some time and some thought. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I just love the idea of that concept of using it as mental fitness and comparing it to the physical fitness. You go running, you go to the gym. Yeah, you feel better after doing it, but actually you do it because you, you're the longevity of being able to stay mobile as you get older. And actually the same thing goes for, for mental fitness. You don't see the end results until years to come. So it's a, it's about getting into the routine. Yeah. Come on. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. I know we met earlier this year and we talked about the subject and I, I asked you on to do the podcast. I think it's so interesting about this concept of actually well-being for the HR community uh, themselves. So thanks ever so much for taking the time out and, and coming and talking to yourself and obviously to the listeners as well. Thank you. Anthony, thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's great to have the time to think together.
No worries. And well, that, as you hear, that's all we have time for on this episode. But you can find all the previous podcasts at tapsolutions.com or, of course, your favorite podcast provider. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another Tap Books HR podcast. But bye for now. Thank you.